I'm Kim, and welcome to Esoteric's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of June 23rd, 2014. Join us this week as we talk with Gordon Patterson in a food court in the Wells Fargo Plaza, the site of his beloved childhood neighborhood, which was leveled in the early 1960s for the Bunker Hill Redevelopment Project. We'll also visit with downtown's coolest senior citizens, Morris and Betty Markoff, to learn about the pleasures of life on Bunker Hill today. So stay tuned. Los Angeles. El Pueblo. Lotus Land. The City of Angels. The Day of the Locust. The Slide Area. Where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear. But you and I were born here. Don't mind a few oddballs in the mix. They add flavor. Growing up in Cheviot Hills, my compass pointed straight to Fifth and Main. As a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway. Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city. Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules. Rainer Banham said that. He taught us well. In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz, now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation. Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir, Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown, The Real Black Dahlia. Positive public space, endangered landmarks, forgotten lore, memory maps, mysteries, murder, the allocation of resources, the hidden forces that shape public policy, Skid Row, Bunker Hill, preservation, restoration, redevelopment, it's a four-letter word, Los Angeles, you can't eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look, and listen to the stories, and pass them on. Why are we doing this again? Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason. So did Rainer Banham. So we did. Now let's begin. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of June 23rd, 2014. Our guest this week will be Gordon Patterson. He is a former resident of Old Bunker Hill. And our guests this week will be Morris and Betty Markov. They are current residents of Bunker Hill. The Pishka Maven, please speak. <laughs> The Pishka is the digital tip jar associated with this podcast. If you like it, and we hope you do, and you're inclined to support our work, you can go to the podcast page and make a PayPal donation of any sort, any kind, any amount. It would be much appreciated and help fund our explorations deep into the Southland. Look for wonderful people to talk to for you to listen to. Never obligatory, always appreciated. We are grateful for your support. Closely watched trains. Okay, let's go. 1930s, Morgan Walls and Clements building. The Mole Richardson building was demolished a couple weeks ago. No, this week. This week? 
uh, demo permit, I guess, was applied for in April. I want to talk about this. I want to bring up, I want to put a couple issues on the table that we're going to talk about. One, machine-readable government documents. The city of Los Angeles publishing everything in a machine-readable format needs to happen. Where was the Los Angeles Conservancy? Where was the Office of Historic Resources? Where were the neighbors around Willoughby and La Brea? Who is monitoring the demolition permits that are being pulled by the city of Los Angeles? Well, no, 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 not too many no, people sorry, are because the they're, they're, the they're not they're not machine readable, Kim. So it's it's not it's a non-trivial task to parse demolition permits in person at Building and Safety. Okay, well, let's go back a little further. Um, Apparently, and this is just hearsay from what people are saying, people are very, very upset. I think 223 people have shared it off of the Art Deco Society Facebook page as of now, and I think they only have a few thousand fans. Um, Kim, where is this building? It's on La Brea. Uh, this building on the was. side of the street, um, in that little patch of you know, studio buildings, um, you know, laundries, wonderful Art Deco buildings, south of Santa Monica, around Willoughby. According to a statement that I saw someone post on on Facebook, uh, people have been being told for some time when visiting the business that used to be in that building that the plan was to leave and that it was probably going to get demolished. And if you look directly across the street, you see a massive cleared site. So, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise that these buildings are, you know, hovering on the knife's edge. I think the lesson of all of this, I mean, yeah, it, it's easy to be upset with the Conservancy for not spotting it. It's its easy to say, oh, the Art Deco Society, they're such sweetie pies and they have these cocktails in historic places and they party at the Queen Mary and they go to Catalina, but what are they doing for preservation? But, you know, what are you doing for preservation? I, 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 uh, I think it's sad that considering the Conservancy has several hundred thousand dollars in overruns every year on their budget that they don't have someone on staff who simply knocks out preservation nominations, historic cultural landmark nominations. They, they very rarely nominate. But I think at this point, we shouldn't expect them to nominate. And it's time for citizens of this great city of Los Angeles who care about buildings to learn how to do this. It's actually kind of fun. It's a research project. You can do it in teams. And you can help save buildings, and that's enormously validating. It's something, Richard, you and I did with with quite a bit of help early in our relationship for the Charles Bukowski bungalow on DeLong Prey, something that was slated to be demolished by a, a very backward-thinking flipper landlord. And that didn't happen, and that thing's still there, and now there's a sign-up, and people come from all over the world to take their picture outside of the window where Charles Bukowski wrote post office. It actually feels really good, people. I recommend you landmark a building. I won't say today because it's going to take you more than today, but but try. Okay, if you're going to landmark a building, don't pick a building that's actually made up of five different structures that have been <laughs> melded together over four or five decades. Richard, okay, we will just finish that pick one day. pick I, a, I pick pick a building that's just one building that was just built. Once after 1900, <laughs> after 1900, no, it doesn't have to be before 1900. But pick a building that was built, like it has one major building phase, and and that's it, and and that'll be really simple. Yeah. Um, 
And, and Kim, I, I think no, that, no, I, no, I, 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 I want to say something. Excited. Go ahead. I'll go after you. I, I walked away from West Los Angeles a long time ago. La Brea is not West Los Angeles. God, you West Side boy, you're so out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's our anniversary week, folks. Um, what I wanted to say was, there's a really nice thing about this whole landmark nomination issue. And before I do say this, I should mention that if you look at the buildings that are being considered as potential landmarks of the city of Los Angeles, what you'll find is that the stuff that's getting nominated is almost exclusively, at this point, single-family, privately-owned homes where someone has purchased a building because they think it's wonderful and they want the tax break. And that's great, and they pay about $5,000 for a professional to write up their application, and it, it usually gets approved if the building is of any significance at all because, it, you know, these documents are pretty standard, they're well-produced, and, and there's no opposition from the landlord, which makes it simpler to go through the process. But if you, my listener, as simply an interested party, say the Mole Richardson building, Morgan Walls and Clements, 1930, were still standing, and you, as someone who had driven past it all your life, as I did, loved it and wanted to try to save it, you would do some research, which isn't that hard to do. There's a lot of vintage photographs and and and. and building documents, you would write up your nomination packet and you would submit it, and then it wouldn't just go in front of a board and then get thrown out because you don't know how to write a nomination packet, you would actually get constructive criticism back from the Office of Historic Resources, who, although, who, uh, you know, they're understaffed, they can't do as much as they perhaps ought to be able to do in a perfect world, but they want these nominations to succeed when they're reasonable, and I hope that this really terrible loss of a beautiful, beautiful building. And if you don't know offhand what I'm talking about, you'll look at the links on the podcast page and you'll go, I know that building. Oh my God, that building is gone. It's, it's uh, right across the street from the 99 cent store. Remember it used to be Bargain Circus? Old yeah. Angelinas know what I'm talking yeah. about. I, bargain, bargain Circus, yeah. Okay, Kim, we, we have to move on. Um, there's, uh, so I want everyone to get a mental image of Fifth and Palmetto no one can in the that. Arts District, and no one can do that unless, unless you, you pick up Django's mommy for Bhagavad Gita study class, and you get to park in front of, unless, um, uh, <laughs> and, and you park in front of the Barker Block. So it's where the Barker, Fifth and Palmetto is the Barker Block. All right. It's the south side of the Barker Block, and there are a series of of warehouses across the street on the south side. Pretty close to and the Greyhound Station? Not really Greyhound close Station? to... No, Kim. It's just... It's basically 4th and Mateo. It's right where close Mateo... It's close to Earth. It's very close to Earth. It's where Mateo and Santa Fe split. So this whole compound of multiple warehouses has been purchased in whole... And they're going to turn it into an outdoor mall. And I just, there's nothing you could tell me that's going to happen in the arts district that I wouldn't believe at this point. This is nothing. Roller rink? Miniature golf course? Uh, Hang gliding over the L.A. River? Hey, why not? Yeah, so there you go. So it's just, it's just, everything's happening in the arts district. And I just... You know, every time we drive home from a bus tour, it's just, 
it's something else, and it just never ceases to amaze me. A new cafe puts in a grove of old olive trees. Beat you to it, Eli Broad. Okay, Kim, um, we're going to move on. Thank, thank you for um, thank you for the help with the landmark applications. Uh, just a couple items in passing. Powerhouse Bar, Hollywood, and Highland. Uh, on Highland, well, it's on Highland, Hollywood? east side of the street, on Highland, just north of Hollywood, Powerhouse. It's going to close. Very sad, that's one of these great old dive bars. Well, it's not closing, per se. It's changing. It's upscaling. Uh, I hope they'll keep the staff on. They're, they're, uh, I hope they keep the jukebox. It's a much-beloved place. It's, it's like one of the last really funky, cool spots yeah. down there. But there's not a lot left down there. Hey, but you know what is happening over there? No. Somebody, we hope to find out who, has ponied up the, oh, what is it, about $5 million now? I don't know, 30000 something like that. Whatever it costs to get a star on the Walk of Fame for, for our beloved Raymond Chandler. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know who did that. I want to find that out. Yeah, I, I'm assuming it's the Chandler Estate, which is a large corporate entity at this point but who knows i mean maybe this is lauren latker and dr annie at it again you know they already did their their project to get sissy chandler's ashes interred in her husband's grave maybe it's a little bit of back channel work by those two uh, we hope to find out soon and we'll keep you posted it's exciting kim queen queen mickey the doodah queen by the way no no doodah queens are always referred to as Doodah queens. There's no such thing as a. It's like the president. There's no such thing as former President Nixon, right? It's the the doodah queen, Mickey. She doesn't have the power anymore, though. I mean, she can't cut our heads off. She can merely knight. What did she do, Kim? She knighted you, darling, at your birthday party. Oh, I know. You mean what did she do recently? She wrote a wonderful piece about the Autry Museum's new Route 66 show, um, which our friend and. uh, podcast guest, Suzanne Lummis, was very much involved in uh, creating the text for in the educational program. She's very happy with the feedback on the show, by the way. Anyway, um, Queen Mickey was writing a piece for her various newspapers that she contributes to about the show, and she was working on a, a sidebar, which became a separate article about Richard's wonderful and long on hiatus Route 66 bus tour, which ran in the Sunday paper and was so encouraging and enthusiastic and, and appealing that we began getting emails first thing Sunday morning from people who wanted to get on that bus. We had taken that tour off our calendar with the closure for long-term reno- renovation of the wonderful Aztec Hotel, which has been a big part of that tour. And we were like, oh, we'll get it back on the calendar again when the Aztec reopens. But so many people were interested. Uh, by the end of Sunday, we had put it back on the calendar, and it's going to be our Valentine's Day tour of 2015, which will give us a while to gear it up. But I think that if we don't get in the Aztec, we're we, going to... We're going to get in the Aztec, Kim, and you're just, like, dying because you're saying, oh, my God, we're, we're going to get in. Well, I think you can enjoy the Aztec enormously Kim, we're, we're, we're going to get in, we'll okay? Get in. We're, we're, we're going to get in. I know you're, you're kicking me because you're just, like, you're not allowed to say things you don't know. Oh my God! I'm going to get five million emails from people saying what's happening with the Aztec. But we're just going to get into the Aztec okay. hotel. Okay, it's going to be fine. Okay. So get on the bus. It's going to be great. Um, I want to move into upcoming events. Okay. Really? Yeah, really. I can't. I can't talk anymore about everything else. No, you can't. Really? 
Yes, that's correct. Okay, so coming up, uh, coming up this coming weekend, we've got um, Lava Salon, Jack Parsons, uh, science fiction writers, and Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons was, of course, intrinsically involved in the Los Angeles Science Fiction Fantasy Club. Milt Stevens of that organization will be giving a talk about important 20th century science fiction writers, and then Craig Barry will be talking about Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons, of course, is the rocket scientist who was a founder of Aerojet and JPL, and uh, at the time of Crowley's death... Alistair Crowley? Alistair Crowley's death, uh, the, the Agape Lodge, Parsons' Agape Lodge was really a really important lodge for the OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis, uh, which is an order he took over in 1913 and, and used as a basis to disseminate uh, the law of Thelema. And if you don't know what I'm talking about and are interested, come to the salon. And if you do know what he's talking about, you're even more interested. Right. So this that is, no, I should simply say this is one of a couple of very special events that we're gearing up to for the centennial year of Jack Parsons, one of the most interesting Angelinos we know. So stay tuned. Jack Parsons is a very interesting Angelino. Uh, July thirteenth, we've got another crime lab crash and splatter. Spatter, spatter right? Spatter. You know better. I, I do. Blunt force and its effect on the human body and improving mathematical models for forensic investigation based on blunt force trauma on the body. That's, that's what this crime lab is going to be about. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of engineering graduate students are going to be involved. A lot, a lot of great hands-on stuff. So we encourage you to come to that. I'm, I'm well, going. There's, there's the whole blood section too. There's, there's a cutting edge theory on blood analysis that suggests that blood droplets can actually contain evidence of wound of origin, which is really going to change um, a lot of what goes on in the courtroom, and I'm sure in crime fiction. And since we always get a lot of crime writers at these events, that yeah. may be what you'll be reading in next year's mystery novels. Yeah, maybe. Could be. Maybe. Also, looking ahead, we don't have a date yet, but I, I want to get everyone excited. I want to get everyone excited. Our dear friend, Paul Rude, is, is going to... Yeah, it's Kim. It's, it's a triviality. We're going to, at some point in the next... At some point in the fall, we're going to have a field trip on a Sunday afternoon to the Holy Land Exhibition in, in northern Silver Lake. And um, our good friend Professor Paul Rude is is going is is doing some some work on providing context for this this confoundingly fascinating and enigmatic collection of biblical material and Bible study curriculum with a distinct eschatological bent eschatology is that which concerns itself with millennia, the, 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 the coming, the second coming, the notion that the, the millennialism, the world, the world, the, the, the end is nigh. And, and what's so interesting about this site is that it's essentially frozen in amber. It's a real 1920s esoteric exploration of biblical texts that has just been sitting there, right in plain sight, right there in Silver Lake all this time. 
And it's it's a carryover from the days of Sister Amy Semple McPherson and all of our our favorite fire-breathing Angelenos. It's incredible that it's still there. And uh, it's really not the kind of thing you can understand easily without someone like Paul Rood there at your shoulder explaining. Okay, just to give that a little more context, a number of groups have done visits to Holy Land Exhibition, and they're good, exhi- ex- they're good trips. The challenge is that um, no one so far with the, t- with the critical skills to understand the history of fundamentalism, Pentecostalism, uh, British-Palestinian colonialism, Zionism, and the overall eschatological movement in Southern California in the first three decades of the 20th century. It's It's, it's really <laughs> complicated, and yet in just the 20-minute conversation Paul and I had about the places we were driving to the Union Rescue Mission, it was just like, oh, right, Z- right. If you start to look at early Zionist movement leaders, you're like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, okay, I get that. So it's, we're very excited. Um, I want to make this a less enigmatic place. I want to make it a more approachable place so people can go in and start to get some real work done, and they're not just in a daze trying to figure out which way's up. So look forward to that. I want to move on to the interviews. We're going to interview. Um, we're, we're going to interview Gordon first. So, so I'm going to introduce Maury, 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 and Betty first. Okay, they're going to be our second interview. All right, Maury and Betty. <clears throat> they're just pure bliss. Uh, Morris is a hundred years old. Betty is ninety-eight. They live on Bunker Hill. They live next door to their daughter, Judith. You may not know who she is, but you know of Judith. Judith, of course, founded and ran Gorky's, this wonderful 24-hour cafe at 9th and San Julian in the 80s and the 90s, and this genuflect when you say her name. That's, I mean, just Gorky's just... Andrew Myron would give body parts to run a Gorky's. Anyone, anyone in downtown today trying to create buzz around a brand would would commit the most heinous crimes in pursuit of recreating what what Judith did. Maybe there'll be a Gorky's branch at this new mall in the Arts District. Okay, so 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 the theme this week of the podcast is Bunker Hill. So we went and we spent an afternoon with Maury and Betty, and they talked about their life on Bunker Hill, which is their hoot, and they're just their real hoot, and you just nothing but but Maury and Betty, and it's great. Our second interview is going to be with Gordon, Gordon Patterson. Many of you remember Gordon. He's spoken a great deal at, at our events. He's a good friend. Gordon's family owned, amongst other properties on Bunker Hill Avenue and immediate environs, uh, the salt box and the castle. These were the last two Victorians standing on Bunker Hill uh, in the wake of the community of the uh, 1960 Bunker Hill redevelopment project. It was passed, it began in 1960. Uh, by 1965, the salt box and the castle were on uh, were on uh, stilts. They've been jacked up and moved, and they were eventually sent over to Heritage Square. The first two houses, and they, where they promptly burned to the ground. 
We're going to interview Gordon in the middle of a food court at the Wells Fargo Plaza, which is... You're a sadist. I can't believe you took him there. Yeah, it's really good. So what we did was we went to where, approximately where, the, the castle was, which is now a food court in the Wells Fargo Plaza off of Grand Avenue. And, and we interviewed him about Bunker Hill Avenue. So, so this week's podcast is Bunker Hill, then, and, and, and now. And let's take it away with my interview with Gordon. Gordon, Gordon, I'm here with you. We're in the, uh, one of the dining areas of the Wells Fargo Center on Grand Street, about 3rd. And I want you to properly introduce yourself and tell us what used to be here in the middle of this food court. Well, I'm Gordon Patterson, and uh, I used to live just a few feet from here. Um, when, uh, before uh, Bunker Hill was uh, redeveloped, um, I lived on South Bunker Hill Avenue, just a few feet from here in a building called The Castle, which my family owned. Um, we are, in our imagination right now, in the heart of Victorian Los Angeles. Um, doesn't exist anymore, but it was here. Uh, when they um, redeveloped this area, uh, Bunker Hill Avenue ceased to exist. It ran um, north and south between Grand and Hope uh, along the crest of Bunker Hill, the highest point of Bunker Hill. In fact, the castle was the highest point of Bunker Hill. When they redeveloped um, this area, they... Uh, reduced the height of the hill by a considerable amount, um, 30, 40, 50, some cases more uh, feet of the top of the hill were uh, removed to build these um, big buildings, to make foundations for these big buildings. So we would actually be, um, if we were back here then, uh, sitting much higher than we are right now because uh, the hill is not as high as it was in those days. Tell us, tell us about Bunker Hill Avenue. Okay, just, just, just go. Um, we're about third. Why don't you start at First Street, a few blocks north, and just work your way down to Fourth. Well, Bunker Hill Avenue uh, actually originally ran from um, Sunset, which is right. now Cesar Chavez, south to um, Fifth, approximately uh, to Fourth. It ended at Fourth. Uh, and it was the most residential, I think, of the streets on this part of Bunker Hill Avenue. Uh, it was not a thoroughfare like Grand and Olive uh, that saw a lot of uh, car traffic. Uh, it was quite a residential street, so it was much quieter than the other streets um, and was lined with uh, Victorian buildings that had been built um, before the turn of the last century. The last century, now I mean in the, 19, in the 1800s. Um, and by apartment buildings that were built subsequently, but in um, no later than the early 1900s. Uh, it was a, a quiet residential street, um, not a lot of vehicular traffic. Um, the buildings had been turned into rooming houses, so many of the residents were elderly, uh, retired people, who uh, you saw on the street, they'd walk up and down. Uh, there used to be a little park where Third Street dead-ended um, into South Bunker Hill Avenue above Hope Street. 
which was down below it. Uh, and that was a place where the elderly congregated and spent their, their days feeding the pigeons. There were a lot of pigeons up here. Um, the soundtrack of Bunker Hill in those days was um, breezes blowing through the palm trees, pigeons cooing, interrupted occasionally by sirens, which uh, came up from the busy street down below and the hum of traffic down down on those lower streets. But that, that's what you heard up on South Bunker Hill Avenue. All right, Gordon, I want you to tell us about the castle and some other some other houses on the street. Well, the castle was built in the 1880s um, and was uh, one of the elegant Victorian mansions that was up here. Um, it was uh, three, three stories with an attic and a basement. Um, it uh, was a delight of Victorian design uh, with a turret and a mansard roof on it and a front porch that was ample uh, and was there was a second porch above it on the second floor uh, at the front of the building um, there was a grand entrance that had two double doors uh, that had stained glass in the upper portion of the double doors which was gorgeous stained glass doors uh, absolutely gorgeous um, in the uh, early 1900s uh, the ch character of the hill changed. The uh, wealthy who had built their big mansions up here, uh, many if not most of them moved off the hill to other places like Beverly Hills and South uh, or West Adams, uh, Pasadena and other places. And the character of the hill changed. Um, many of the Victorian buildings as was the castle were turned into rooming houses. So they were single room occupancy with a shared bath down the hall and uh, maybe a sink in the rooms and um, were occupied by a diverse group of people. Uh, as I said, a lot of elderly, but mostly people who uh, worked downtown and commuted downtown on the uh, Angels flight to their jobs and to uh, go shopping. Uh, there were a lot of people from um, overseas. There were a lot of first-generation uh, immigrants from Europe and from South America that lived in these places. Uh, there were a lot of Asians and there were a lot of Hispanics um, it was an interesting place. Uh, a lot of writers like John Fonte lived up here. In fact, he lived just down the block uh, in the Alta Vista, which uh, I went by all the time. Um, and he lived up here when my father lived up here. I'm sure they passed each other on the street frequently. Um, Gordon, let's, uh, let's take... I, I recently found a document for you. It's a building permit your grandmother took out. Do you, want to, do you want to tell us what the document says? And what I really like is not just this document, but the fact that you, you have some suspicions as to who did the work itself, which is part of the story of the document. Well, my, my grandmother bought the uh, castle in 1937. She had moved to Los Angeles in 1932 and uh, got a job at Bullock's and saved her money. Uh, and uh, actually... In the depths of the Depression, it's hard to believe, but she would go to business or landowners of these buildings and, and, and lease the building from them to become the uh, landlady. She didn't just work for them. She leased the building from them and then rented out the rooms um, for herself and saved her money so that in five years she was able to buy the, the castle 
and uh, another building that was next door to it. Um, and so in 1938, she took out this building permit, it turns out, uh, and enclosed the back porch of the uh, castle. That's what the building permit was for. And opened that then room that she was able to enclose uh, to con connect with her apartment. She lived, uh, and my father lived on the first floor. They had four, the four first floor rooms, that's where they lived. So she just added to her her abode by by enclosing this uh, this porch at the back. Uh, it was a revelation because I didn't know that they had done that. My father never talked about that. Um, he would have been 13 years old then, or anything, 14 years old then. Um, and the 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 kind of uh, interesting thing to me was that she filled this out by hand. So she, she wrote the description of what she wanted to do and, and all, and she signed and dated it. And the startling thing to me was to look at her signature. Now, I had seen her signature before, but not for some time. But her, the way she wrote her name was exactly the way my wife signs her name. I couldn't believe it. It was uncanny. Her handwriting is the same. Gordon, you did it. You've you've taken us back. You've taken us back to 19th century Los Angeles. I want you to close with just one story about you and 19th century Bunker Hill. Well, my oh boy, my my earliest childhood memories are of Bunker Hill. I I, was, I came here when my my father got out of the service in 1946, and I was, a, I was an infant then, and I grew up to be a toddler and a young kid on the hill. And my playmates, there were a few children, but most of my playmates were the elderly, uh, friends of my, my father's that he'd grown up with. Um, and so I knew people who, if you could have asked them when they were young who the Queen of England is, they would have said Queen Victoria. Those are my playmates. Gordon, thank you. Thank you. My name is Peggy Ronning. I'm here in the Antelope Valley Indian Museum State Historic Park, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. Okay. Betty, Maury, I'm here with you. We're on Bunker Hill. We're in your apartment on Bunker Hill, and, and I want both of you in turn to introduce yourself. So, Betty, we'll start with you. Tell, tell us your name. My name is Betty Markov. Okay, and you live on Bunker Hill here with, what, what you live with your husband, so I'm going to have your husband introduce himself. Maury, do you want to properly introduce yourself? Yes, my name is, uh, my name is Maury Markov, and resident here at Bunker Hill. And, and how, how old are you? I hate to say it, it's frightening. It. 100. Doesn't <laughs> seem realistic. I don't know how I made it. But I just kept breathing. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I I rarely do interviews with two people at a time, but you're both you're too charming to pass this up. So, so here we go. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try this. The topic of this conversation is a day in the life, your life today, 2014. You just you moved here about two years ago. Your daughter Judith was instrumental in convincing you to make this move. Out of uh, out of your beloved Silver Lake, and I just want to hear about your a, a typical day in your life. So, Betty, why don't you take the lead, and we'll let your husband fill in some gaps. Uh, yeah, well, there uh, aren't too many gaps. 
the the uh, only problem is age. Uh, I'm two and a half years younger, but it's still age, and the walking and the energy limits me more than I'd like to, so I get frustrated. Moving from the big place, it wasn't that big, by the way, to one bedroom with Maury's way of having all, uh, all the fix-it stuff that goes into uh, doing things around the place, I thought I'd go nuts at first. I finally asked him to keep the stuff there on, on that patio and keep this free. So that helped a whole lot. He's been trying very hard. <laughs> and uh, uh, leaving Silver Lake was not difficult. Judy had uh, wanted, she and my, our son wanted us to live closer, although that was just as close. Yeah. And uh, we looked at two, so we looked at two places here. And we walked in and this, he looked at me, I looked at him. Yes. <laughs> This is what sold us, living out of doors. That's very, very important. You're, you're gesturing to your, your, your oh. balcony, which is fantastic. Yes. You have two balconies, and there are beautiful views south along Hope Street. Yeah, Hope and Flower. All right, but I interrupted you. Please continue. So actually, um, <laughs> I think uh, uh, my story is so negative. I think I've spent my life trying to put things together <laughs> here. And uh, Judy takes us uh, shopping once a, uh, a week, which is nice because it's really a combination, lunch together or breakfast mm -hmm. together, so it's very pleasant. We have her on that. And uh, otherwise, we haven't gotten out because getting out is a little hard. It's been very hard on Maury without a car, and we don't have the energy we had at Silver Lake. <laughs> But 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 I want to hear about but you do th I want to hear about it you 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 go to breakfast at Colt let's just start with we want to hear about the routine just well, a, a typical day in your life yeah well there isn't that much to tell from my viewpoint uh, we have made that decision I think I said that in order to go out to have a reason to go out because it's kind of hard uh, the energy it takes to walk at this point uh, so we have made have been uh, decided that we'd make one meal a day out. Or maybe go to Grand Park. By the way, Grand Park is lovely. We love it. And we do on occasion. We walk down there and we like to sit by the Starbucks and the children's pool and watch the kids. And that's fun. Right, Mush? And then we also use a pedway a lot. The, the pedestrian walkway. I called it Skywalk till my daughter corrected me. <laughs> and uh, uh, then we found that, hey, we can get along. He can't take hills at all, and the pedway is what makes it all possible. We can take the pedway, which is a very short walk actually, downtown. We can go to Ralph's if we want to. We found the Panini restaurant across the way, which is so nice. Uh, so, uh, And then if Maury has to go to the bank, which is right across the way from the Bonaventure, we'll go there, and then we'll continue and have perhaps lunch or or go somewhere there. And uh, somehow things happen every day, like people coming in to interview us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, it's very nice here. And if we were a little bit younger, I mean, if we could walk, I would say it's 
wonderful. In fact, I'll say it anyway. Yeah, I'll say that anyway. If you walk along Rand, there's uh, that lovely water court there with, with a pond around it. So if I could, <laughs> and I'm trying to get oh, 75 years of photographs sorted. I did a lot of them. I put them in books, but that takes a lot of my thought and effort, and I'm not getting that far in it. So if you have photographs, always date it and say who they are. <laughs> I've become a big moralist on that. <laughs> and uh, we're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it very much. There are things I don't like. I dislike my kitchen. I'm not that tall. You should be taller. And But the place is really nice. If I can get over these trivialities, that shouldn't be important, but they are. I don't want to leave, leave a lot of things for my kids. <laughs> All right, good. All right, you did a good job. We're going to turn to your husband now, Maury. I want to hear about a typical day in your life here on Bunker Hill. Well, usually Betty starts yelling at me about something. You didn't put this, and where did you put this? I protest. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have a little difference about life. And Betty said old age is a problem, not to me. Old age to me is an accomplishment. Don't forget, what Betty doesn't know is I was dead, uh, legally dead, at the age of prior to reaching 99. Right. And I had a sudden heart attack and rushed me to a uh, hospital, which they put in two stents. They were going to put a right. tastemaster in. Something happened out. It shorted out. And the monitor went flat, dead, officially, clinically dead. And uh, Betty was there with my daughter, and uh, that was it. Judy and, and I had come up from the cafeteria, and there was a lot of excitement in the hall as we approached his, approached his room. People were running like crazy, and I said, boy, I hope it isn't dead. It was. <laughs> So anyway, they headed us off, actually, and uh, he got a lot of attention, and he had his birthday there, and we brought a cake in that night, birthday cake. Yeah. So that was nice. But don't forget, they started giving me shock treatments, pounding on my chest, and who couldn't be dead if somebody's pounding on your chest? A lot of people, It's not easy. Yeah. No, came back to life. Uh... Because of it, now I am a guy that's dead, been on the other side, and I've had people want to know, what did you see? Did you have flashes of your whole life before you died? No, 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 not true. Boom, you're dead. <laughs> no flashes. I've been there, and I'm here. Here is better. Because there, there's no consciousness. I don't know what's happening. So... I take life, every day to me is an added day. So I, uh, and I remember that when I get up. I tell Betty it's a beautiful day, it's another day, and you'll fill it with as pleasurable as you can. There's always problems to take care of, sinks break down, things break down, which is okay, that's part of living. So life to me is, um, it's certainly 
if you're fortunate as we have been, and that's pure luck. We don't have to, we're not beholding to our kids for money or for anything at this stage. And so at the age of 100, I also think they're maybe a little bit lucky because kids have parents that need a lot of attention. They haven't. But they've been wonderful kids. We've been self-sufficient to this point. And I cannot put it down to anything else but, as you objected to the word, luck. Maury, I think luck has nothing to do with it, but happily, it doesn't matter what I think. So I want, but I, I do want, but I, what I, it does matter what I think about the topic of a typical day in your life. And I do want to hear more. I, I know that you're, you're, you, you, you're, 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 every day is a blessing. So let's take that energy and let's get through a typical day in your life on Bunker Hill. Yeah, I think Betty has expressed it. We get up in the morning, we make a decision. Where do we want to go today? I had a check to put in the bank. I thought didn't happen. So we said, let's go out for breakfast. And we went to a place you may not know of called Courtyard Cafe. No. It's very interesting. Great place. It's a, uh, when we're usually the only ones there, uh, usually. But it's within, right across the street, actually, between 2nd and 3rd. There's a courtyard. Have you passed it? No, this, you probably didn't. If you went in there, it's empty and beautiful. The landscaping is lovely, and in the middle of it is this odd cafe. Uh, it's quite big, and uh, they have this room that's so unusual. This is way what makes up our days. The, uh, you know, you run across things, and it's fun. Uh, there's a room that's not separated with a complete wall, but with a partial wall. There's a TV on the wall that's gigantic and runs all sports stuff, so people can go in there. The chairs have, um, they have little round trays so they can eat there and watch it, and you should see it. Okay. I am a big fan of downtown, by the way. I think downtown is wonderful. My friend and I, for years from, uh, from uh, Silver Lake, uh, Lil and I used to come downtown, go to Robert, well, May Company mostly. I don't know if you remember, you're younger. Robinson's, Bullock's, and uh, that. And I'm sorry she's gone because I don't know downtown because it is brand new. It wasn't here when uh, uh, when I was younger. And I think it's, uh, it's sort of a secret place. You walk along when we found the um, water court. We were walking along, and I heard music. I said, Maureen, let's go see where it's coming from. And it comes from this whole area. We go downtown. We take the Pedway, go to the Bonaventure, go down uh, across the bridge to the uh, uh, bank, go downstairs, and we go into this uh, building there, 505. We discover 505. 505 South Hope? Uh, 505. Figueroa Street. Which Five hundred five Figueroa. The world under there. Yeah, yes. Yes. So this is uh, this is uh, uh, this is in New Los Angeles, and uh, it's exciting, and I just wish that we could walk more, because there's a lot to see, and uh, it's never the Pedway has saved us really, because that's all on a level. And we go there for our cheapy breakfasts. Where where, are you, where do you get your cheapy breakfast? In the Bonaventure, fourth floor. <laughs> okay. where, you, 
can you get a breakfast for bacon, eggs, toast, potatoes, coffee for four dollars and ninety nine cents. So we have our cheap at the last place in the world you would expect the Bottle Venture. Okay, I, th I think you guys have a new blog. That all I think you guys are going to start a blog for all the young people living on Spring Street. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but we found our way. And uh, uh, if we don't want our, the cheapy, there are other really, I think, nice places. The place across the street is a little adventure. It's really what about the nice. Col what about the Colburn? Hmm? What about the Colburn? Oh, we love Colburn. For one thing, the first time I went there it was so exciting. Because we're sitting out in the patio, and you look at the buildings on one side and the gardens on the other, you know. the. But if you look at the building, the way the uh, sun comes in, you have changing pictures on, on the uh, wall there. And it's just nice being there, even inside, not looking out. And it's, uh, you're kind of on your own. You don't have to sit down and face stuff maybe you don't want. You take what you want. So there are a lot of places like that we enjoy very much. We're not very keen on expensive dining. For for one thing, the way we eat doesn't fit into it. In fact, when we go out with our son and it is expensive, uh, it's a little upsetting. It's a little. It creates a little problem because they usually have the steaks and prime ribs and you know and all that. And our taste has grown very simple. At one time, we would have enjoyed it. He can't chew, so it Betty, doesn't do well. Betty is always fascinated. The courtyard at the Coburn, you face the large building. I just told and you because of the reflection and the qualities of light on imperfect panes of glass, it always looks like a huge building. Is it an angle broken up in, in, in a... Uh, a, a broken up zigzag fashion and look like ready to crash. Every time Betty sees it, she's fascinated. And the city itself for me is, is a labyrinth ready to be explored because we don't know what a large part of the city is below the buildings. Most of them have two, three, as much as four stories underneath the buildings filled with stores and shops and restaurants, and if you go during working hours, filled with life. Here at this end of town, you don't see many people. If you walk these hallways, it's rarely do we meet occasionally one or two people. Placido Domingo lives next door. We've only seen him twice. We've only seen him twice when we first moved in. I almost gave him a tip for carrying my luggage. <laughs> but we don't but he is constantly on a world tour. We don't see him. He's typical of most people in the building. We have an attorney that's been in the building. They grandfathered several legal offices in because they were here sure. before the change of the competition. And I rarely see him. Occasionally he comes out with a secretary. But even your neighbor, we rarely see people. The swimming pool, I don't think outside of a holiday like 4th of July have I ever seen more than six people in it. Usually nobody with this huge swimming pool. 
When I think of my days on the east side swimming in the garbage of the East River, and I mean garbage, you, you, know, you develop an East River stroke. You push the garbage out of the way one hand and you swim with the other. So that's how you swim. So when I look at the swimming pool with no one in it, it's a shame. What and do you do? And a sauna and a steam bath there and a shower. <laughs> and you can have a drink of water there and we never go. We don't utilize those. So if you're young, go quickly. <laughs> I want to I wanna get back to places where you eat, and I want to bring us home. And this is sort of a bittersweet note. I want you to talk about the DWP cafeteria, which is now unfortunately closed to the general public. It's open. Maury, he knows more about it than you No, no Maury, we, we, we tried to go this morning. Well, it's, it's, we it's, found out today you, it's you, open. You, okay. All right. We'll post to the podcast page. It's open. Well, the reason I'm saying that, like you, I thought it was closed. Today, walking in the plaza, we met a mayor that lives in the next building. He worked at the Water and Power for 22 years. He's a mechanical engineer, he and his wife, both retired, and he goes to their cafeteria. They've reopened it. But do not allow outsiders in anymore. Yeah, yeah. right. The, the, the general public can't go in. Right, right. So, but it, I, I, I did not know it had, it had reopened. Right, correct. But in, and when it before it closed for renovation, this was a favorite of you uh, oh, for the yes. two of you. Oh yes, it was. In fact, when uh, Maury was in the papers for being a hundred, was it or something? Some reason of famous, they greeted us so warmly, and actually one of the the guys came over and they wanted our autograph. They wanted to take a picture, and uh, and I I um, told someone there that I liked the food very much. The food is they have a stir fry, which is you can select, and he loves the omelets. And uh, I, I said, gee, the food here is very good. I, I said, you must have a good chef. She said, I I am. <laughs> And she said, let me bring you some dessert. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> so uh, it's very, and it's very, you know, one thing about the city that uh, is that our life, I think, is that we move through so many different lifestyles. And I'm, I'm very aware of it. You go there, and it's, uh, you see these people wandering the streets. Yep. They walk to exercise. So you have this strata of our society. We go to Home Depot, and uh, which, right which which Home Depot do you go to? One, uh, uh, we go to the one between Sixth and Wilshire. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right close, right yeah. off Union Street. Yeah. And, and he loves McDonald's, and, and there's a thrift shop. I love it. Oh yeah, well that's up. Because in the thrift shop, I find things I can't live without. That, that thrift shop is a really good Art Deco building. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, where where was I? You've got me on that. Oh, and next to the McDonald's, and there's another lifestyle, very different, very different, because there you really have the low-income Mexican families. And it's nice to watch because there are always a lot of little kids and that. And um, and then you come here, my God, you go to the plaza here, although you have a few homeless there occasionally, yes. So uh, 
you can't be bored here if you look at all. I mean, I, I think the city is really fascinating. <laughs> and and often we'll walk to as Betty stated Grand Park. I would like to go to Grand Park on a Sunday because the kids are there. It's just for it's, it's constant entertainment to watch a two-year-old's first experience with a fountain and water, hesitant to touch it. But after a half hour there, they're running through it. It's wonderful to be. I always felt old people's homes should have a nursery attached to it. Because there are such things as old people's homes. They're retirement homes. Retirement homes. Should have a nursery because it's always entertainment for older people. That you don't have the patience when you're younger, but when you're older, you could sit and enjoy so. If you want to turn that off a minute, I'll, uh, make it, I'll say something about Silver Lake. I, that, I, I don't want to turn it off, just say Oh, uh, because where we lived, uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but if you do neighborhood things, you should know that, that there's a Gregory Ain. Yeah, yes. Oh, you know about yeah. that. And you, you, li you, you lived in a Gregory Ain project. Oh, okay, you didn't know, because not everyone knows, and... Uh, uh, we were living across the street in the, in the duplex. We, we lived across the street in the duplex. We moved up the hill to Waverly Drive, the brand-new lovely house. We moved to Fernwood, which was a beautiful home. And then I don't know what happened, but we had friends in, in, the, uh, uh, in the Gregory Ain place. And uh, a couple of apartments came up, and somehow or other we ended up there, which was nice because... We did have friends there, so if you know about that, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. Um, I want to wrap this up, Maury. I want you to leave us with a closing thought about your life downtown. My life today. Yeah. Very lucky. Uh, I think I'm at a part of my life when the least amount of responsibilities I've ever had. I've always had responsibility. <laughs> my family, my and we're free to go. We have strange things happen when you're older. I'm happy here. We're limited for what we do, but the area that we're living in is as open and as busy as you want to make it. There are so many things around. We are so close to Japantown, so close to Chinatown, so close to to. The very heart, the, the cultural heart of the city. We have Disney Hall, uh, Chandler, Amundsen Theater. Now that you, 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 will, you will have another new museum opening up. It's the very heart of the city. It's all around us. Our limitations now at this point is that we cannot take full advantage of it. Betty can walk more than I do. Betty talks about going to Ralph, walking to Ralph, it's becoming a hardship for me. Betty can still make it, but it's a hardship. But on the other hand, we try, try to make it one way and we take the bus back when we can. And uh, So within limitations, life for me here is as good as it can get. My kids are I'm happy, my kids are busy, happy, active, what else can I say? Our grandkids are doing well. Our whole family has been very, very lucky. And coming from a almost 
My family was dis not dysfunctional, but it was a tragic family in many ways. Uh, so I'm appreciated. I, I recognize all this. More, more, more. I have more time to become retrospective and introspective, shall I say? So you have more time to think about things, and for whatever time I have left, and it could happen tomorrow, but I have no regrets. People ask me, my son asked me the other day, Dad, what would you change in your life? And I thought about it, and I said, really nothing. My life has been rich with experiences, good and bad, but they've been experiences which teaches you things, or it should. We only learn through our mistakes, really. And if you don't, it's just too bad. And, uh, but uh, I, again, I've lived a full life, and I accept whatever comes. That's it. What can I say? And you, I you, think yep, you, you should be interviewed. <laughs> you, think, you, think, you think I should be interviewed? Well, I do the Absolutely. interviews. I, th I think I do the interviews. So well, you, uh, We got you on the uh, Internet. I can do and, I can and you've, you've done all kinds of things. Why isn't somebody interviewing you? Well, let's make a deal, Maury. Um, it's, apparently, it's a custom when you publish your 100th podcast that you get to be interviewed by someone. So I will let you interview me when I publish my 100th podcast, okay? okay. Which we got, we got about nine months. Contract <laughs> one. Yes, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you an email tonight, and we can, we can sign it. You're going to interview me about my life for, for our 100th podcast, which is about 40 episodes away. No, thir 30 episodes. Oh, my God, it's really yeah. soon. And I'm not as delicate as you are. I'd get into your sex life. <laughs> okay, we have to stop because you're very charming, and you're very funny, and we have to stop. So, you, you're, Maury, you're going to say goodbye, and I'm going to have your wife say goodbye. Uh, well, goodbye. I hope this has been of some value. Educationally, I hope. It's been informative, whatever I could say. I, again, I could say, I've been a pleasure to have both of you here. You don't eat enough. <laughs> but Betty, say goodbye, please. Oh, okay, Richard, it's been really nice meeting you and meeting you, Kim, who's sitting there. And... Uh, I hope this helps you in some way. Say hi to your daughter. Say hi to your daughter. Your daughter's li Judith's listening, so say hi. Oh, Judith? My, my Judy is listening? Yeah. Oh, yeah. hi, Judy. I'll, I'll you, don't, you look different. <laughs> my name is John Bunton. I'm here in Beverly Hills, and you are listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of June 23rd, 2014. Our guests this week were Gordon Pattison and my favorite couple, Maury and Betty Markoff. This week's theme was Bunker Hill Then and Now. Kim, yes. I, uh, I want to thank everyone 
for listening to us and providing feedback when they do. We like that. I, I like iTunes comments in particular. Um, but for those that are not familiar with the feedback loop and the processes therein, could you please bring us up to speed? Sure. Well, one thing you can do, like LA Explorer, is um, you can listen to our podcast about Italian cafe and go, hmm, best pizza in town? In Gardena? In an industrial district? i got to check that out. And go and do a wonderful blog post about how fantastic the pizza is. And, and it is. And, and because you went because of us. Because of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, that's a great way to give us feedback. That, that, that's fun, and we enjoy I, I that. Like, I like that almost as much as I like iTunes comments. iTunes comments are good. You can send us an email at youcaneatthesunshine at gmail.com or through the contact link at www.esoturic.com. You can come and see us at an esoturic bus adventure or one of the lava events hosted by myself or Richard. And we've been getting a lot of really great feedback lately, so... It's nice to know that folks are listening and enjoying the uh, travels around the countryside and, and the characters we're finding for you. We've got some real doozies coming up, so stay tuned and, and keep in touch. Okay, Kim, you're gonna you're gonna bring us home, but before you do, I just wanna I wanna warn everyone. You're you're gonna you're gonna launch some new crime tours. <gasps> Not gonna say what, but you're going to in the next in the next month. I just I just saw it in my calendar. I just saw one month from today you're you're supposed to have some copy ready. Yeah, there there's a lot of stuff coming up. New stuff. Stuff people have been clamoring for. Yeah, because I've started to hear from people who've actually taken every esoteric tour more than once. And there's really only so much you can ask of our fans. So yes, there is some new stuff coming, and it'll be announced soon. So stay tuned. Uh, we, but we have some things already on the calendar, and I'd like to share them with you because some of them are quite special, and you'll want to save the date or even sit right down and, and buy yourself a ticket. On July the 12th, it's Haunts of a Dirty Old Man. That's a Bukowski-themed tour, how Charles Bukowski re- remade himself as a world-renowned poet and novelist after the age of 50. It's a real story of uh, self-discovery and transformation, and it's all set in some of the most interesting parts of downtown and East Hollywood and Crown Hill, a neighborhood that doesn't get enough attention. Yeah, Crown Hill. Yeah. Um, On the 19th of July, it's our once-a-year bus adventure with my compadre David Smay. As our host, I will co-host with him. That's Crawling Down Coanga, Tom Waits, L.A., a musical journey through the 70s, and uh, with a real sub-theme of the redemptive power of love. And it's quite funny, too. So if you like Tom Waits, get on that bus, and please spread the word. It's a little different than what we usually do. If you have a Tom Waits-loving friend, let them know, because it'll be a year until they can take that one again. On the 26th of July, it's our most popular crime bus tour, The Real Black Dahlia, a tour it, not... It, it is our most popular tour. Pretty much from the start. Um, it's uh, not about who killed Beth Short, although we have... Some theories about that that we will share, including one that does tend to give me chills and, and uh, really intrigues our passengers as well, typically. And, but and, and, the, and the neighbors. And the neighbors like to come up and talk about it, too. But really what we want to know is, is, is who Beth Short was, what the hell she was doing in post-war Los Angeles, and what this strange milieu of transitory women was all about. Spend a lot of time in downtown, really get into the nitty-gritty of this lifestyle. And uh, that, that's a tour that, it's, uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that tour. Uh, we get into August, and we've got some California Culture tour, Series tours. We start with South Los Angeles Road Trip, Hot Rods, Adobes, Googie, and Early Modernism. It's also our only Sunday tour. 
And do you want to tell them the success story of the South LA tour? The wedding? <gasps> Richard is very excited. One of this, one of these lovely and rather off the radar sites that we've made part of this tour quite recently, the Gypsy Johnson House. Only by the good graces of the Downey Assistance League. We, we've spent a long time building this bridge to be able to get into the garden and talk about this extraordinary Spanish colonial revival home. And it's, it's uh, Mexican tile, and it's beautiful landscaping. And with some encouragement from us, yes. they are now opening it for weddings. And it is beautiful. First one's, September. First one's in September. So we're very excited about that. And you'll hear all about it if you get on that bus. Maybe, maybe you're looking for a place to get married. You could do worse. It's a house of love. Um... We'll take a little literary side trip on August 9th, but the Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles tour, a tour of downtown and Hollywood, and a little Crown Hill as well. And uh, we'll be following in the footsteps of our favorite noir author, including noir-themed gelato from Scoops. We get back into California culture on the 16th of August with Boyle Heights in the San Gabriel Valley, the hidden histories of L.A.'s melting pot, a cultural tour about immigration and right on brothers and sisters and Christmas trees and lights and I know we were now really clued in and tuned in and on the same page and so forth with the very interesting uh, community group that has organized around trying to preserve Wyvernwood in Boyle Heights this gorgeous garden court apartment complex which is right in the crosshairs of these jerk gentrifiers from Florida, and I can call them jerks because they tore down the coffee table. Lovely little I coffee like, shop. They tore down the coffee table? Yeah, they bought the coffee, like table the coffee table on Rowena, around the corner from the Trader Joe's, and they had big plans to do a development there. Okay, fine. And, and they said they'd have a coffee shop in the ground floor. Okay, fine. No. They bought it, they leveled it, and then they walked away from the project. So these are not exactly pro-community developers who really have the best wishes of the neighborhood And in mind. They've been allowing Wyvernwood, which is so gorgeous. If it was on the west side, people would be lined up for years to live there. People are lined up for years to live there. Yeah, well, if it was on the west side, they'd be lined up for years because it's, you know, gorgeous and, and historically important over... In Boyle Heights, people are lined up because, you know, families have lived there for generations, and it's really affordable if you get in there because it's, you know, pre-76. They've been neglecting the property. They want it to just rot down around the ears of the people who live there. It's horrifying, and they want to tear the whole thing down and turn it into high-rises as Arts District East. The community has rallied. Our, our, our last uh, podcast is all about that, and... So we're going to learn a little bit more about that on this tour. We've been talking about Wyvernwood on this tour for ages, but now we're actually going to be able to ask some questions. So that's cool. And we're wrapping up the month of August. Gee, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this Wyvernwood thing. I think it's good. Yeah, it's we're wrapping good. up. Thank you, Richard. Hey, it's our anniversary week. Uh, we're wrapping up the month of August with the lowdown on downtown. And, boy, that's a tour that's only gotten more timely. Downtown is really looking up, man. <laughs> So if you want to know how it got here, and it's a wild story with a lot of twists and turns and heroes and villains and more villains and a few heroes and some really incredibly powerful spaces that you, if you don't know them, you should know them. Um, and we give that tour on August 23rd. We give it twice a year. So if you're looking to really know things about downtown that are going to amaze your neighbors and change your perception of the place, get on the bus.
Okay, Kim, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a story that, that my Chabad sponsor used to tell me. Okay, it's a variation on it. Okay. You look like you're gonna die. My husband is not a Chabadnik. No, I'm I'm not, but I had a Chabad sponsor. Um so, you know, there's there's this great there's this great Hasidic parable about about Shlomo the water schlep, right? And Shlomo's the water schlep in the town and he just you know, he's like, he's been the water schlep since he was 15, and he's now in his 30s, and he's just like, ah, you know. And um, all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's just, he's, he's the water schlep, and he's been saying, telling people the same thing since anyone can remember. And then one day, you know, like, the rabbi hears him talking. He's like, oh my god, you're, you're a genius. Oh my god, Shlomo, you're just, you're so smart. And everyone in town's like, oh my god, we have to hear what Shlomo has to say about it. And all of a sudden, Shlomo becomes... Shlomo becomes the hero of the town, right? And he's just like, oh my god, I can't believe you're saying this. What, oh. is, what does Shlomo say? It, it does, he's just like, you should daven and like give praise to God. Um, and and so the point is is that they're like, so Shlomo, what's, what, 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 how, how did you find all this deep wisdom? He's like, I've been saying the exact same thing since I was 13 years old. So, so the point is, is, that, is that at some point things just click. And, and I'm saying this in the context of the, the lowdown on downtown, the, the public, what I call informally the public space tour of downtown, because because as you were talking about this, I had I had my really my first my second solid vision of running the art walk. My my first solid vision is of course being asked to run the shuttle while we were on some conservancy walking tour in like two thousand four. But um, that's my first. But my my, my, my second. Okay, um, my first. My second vision is that is that we're on the dash bus with which the downtown neighborhood council has rented as to act as an informal shuttle for the art walk, which no one understands. So there's just this dash. No one understands it's a, it's a freaking dash bus. No right. one wants to get on this bus. They think it's going to city hall. Right, right. But so so our job, our job, your job. You and Terry Ellsworth would sit at the back, and I would stand. In the front, at the front window, and I would tell the bus driver, "Oh, that person looks like they might listen to me. Go, go, follow them." And you and Terry would sit in the back seat with your hands in your head, thinking, "Oh my God, why is the bus driver listening to him? Oh my God, why can't he just? Why can't he be like everyone else and ignore Richard?" <laughs> so we would, we would, we would follow people, and and, and the bus would stop, and I get out, and I, I'd, I'd say. Hey, do you want to get on the Art Walk shuttle? I want to tell you about this block. The history about this block is really interesting. And then they would run away. <laughs> and then we fixed this problem by getting a psychedelic school bus that we couldn't get people off of. Everyone wanted on that shuttle. We had music on the shuttle and, and, and carnival performers. Carnies, if you will, is fantastic. But it's all a matter of how you present these things. Well, my point is is that we've been we we've, we've been talking about this stuff for a long time and it's really great that um that the, as as I've always said to the world is watching. It's it's nice to really feel that feedback loop. Downtown. It's uh, not for sissies. And I mean that as the adjective, not the noun. Kim, I wanna I, I wanna extend both our warm wishes to our listeners for listening. I wanna encourage you from both Kim and I to keep on listening and I wanna remind you 
it's our anniversary. You could throw something in the pishka. And you can't eat the sunshine. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between us. 